We are shaking things up today on the road to seven with Sheila Cummins. If you want to see what it's like to be a fly on the wall with two women that are running multiple six-figure coaching companies, then this is an episode that you don't want to miss. As a business and leadership mentor, wife, and mom, I know that building a legacy business as a high-performing female entrepreneur can be overwhelming when you play many demanding roles in your life. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. You can be a powerful, high performer in your career, plus enjoy a fulfilling marriage and be a great mom all at the same time. Join me and my guests every week to get the inside scoop on what it really looks like to build a high growth business while living a life truly aligned with your family and personal values. Now, today's episode is going to be super fun. I met Megan Huber just last week, actually, through an online networking opportunity. We connected, we chatted, and we both had such a fun conversation that there were so many insights that came out and and it was just so rich that we thought, you know what? Here's two of us who have this podcast. Why don't we just have a conversation and share it to both of our podcasts? Yeah, exactly. You know, so often when we're meeting people for the first time online, sometimes it's just like this explosion of ideas and connectivity. And holy cow, I think I just met someone who might be my twin separated at birth (laughs) because we have such similar philosophies and really similar journeys as entrepreneurs. And that's how you and I felt. And, you know, sometimes when we have those conversations like, darn it, I wish we had pressed record so someone could have been a fly on a wall and heard just that real, authentic, intimate, two people connecting and having like the real conversation about what's going on behind the scenes, but also what's going on inside of us internally, what's going on inside of our own minds that sometimes we think, am I crazy? Do I not know what I'm doing? Do I not fit into this industry? I know you and I will probably touch on that a little bit. And so a lot of those things are coming up in the conversation. So I'm so excited for us to dive into this together today and kind of do like a round two of the conversation that we had so that our listeners can just get some some honest insight into what it truly feels like and looks like and sounds like to be an entrepreneur in today's ever-changing world, not just in technology, but like culture is changing, psychology is changing, like everything around us is changing and it's not always easy. So I'm excited for today. It's going to be amazing. Hey, Sheila, how about let's start here? You know, our two audiences may not know the other one super well. I'd love to hear about your journey in terms of how you even got started in this coaching industry. I'm sure you didn't begin your career here. So what led you to this? Uh, Such a great question. You know, I am a recovering school teacher. It was I was 13 years in the classroom and in Canada, I'm in Canada and we get a, a year long maternity leave, which is I know unheard of in the U.S. and in other places around the world. And I'd had to go back early because we secured a daycare spot. And those were few and far between when my my oldest, who's now 15, was born. So we got the daycare spot. It's super expensive. And I was like, oh, my God, if my kid's in daycare, I'm going back to work. So I went back. The day we went back, I figured out that we were pregnant with my second kid. 
Now, I know what causes it, but I didn't realize that we would be as efficient as we were. And it wasn't exactly planned on that timeline, but whatever, I will take all blessings, big and small. And I remember standing in that classroom and I'd been wanting to get out of teaching for about five years. And I'd gone back to school. I'd gotten my master's in education. I'd gotten certified in a whole bunch of other pedagogies and teaching modalities and, you know, just something to really spark it up. And yeah, I tried my hand at administration for a little bit, very quickly pulled my hand out. Absolutely not my wheelhouse. And so here I was standing there and, you know, we have these beautiful autumn days in Canada. Blue, blue sky, crisp air, like crisp. You can hardly just catch your breath. All the leaves are, you know, beautiful browns and reds and oranges. And it's just incredible. And I remember standing there in front of this classroom and I was teaching at a private school at the time. And it was an all girls private school. And I had sixth grade and there were these gorgeous young women, you know, from all different backgrounds, all different everything. And I thought, you know, it doesn't matter how much better at teaching I get. My salary is capped and I most likely will not be able to put my child in that seat if I choose to. And it was this sort of like beacon of wanting more. I want more time. I want more money. I want more freedom, more choice, more fulfillment. I want to find the passion. And I, I don't believe that a teacher who has lost their passion has any right to be in the classroom. And so I took myself out. I finished the year and I never went back. And since then, it's been a circuitous, you know, 15 years. It's been a tutoring company. It's been a parenting blog online. It's been corporate training. It's been training entrepreneurs. And the one commonality was teaching. And, and I'm always going to be an educator. And what I found through this whole sort of convoluted journey, which I'm going to save you the details of, was that where I excel is educating and where my gap was at that time was getting women into action. So I could make them really knowledgeable. But I was having a hard time getting them to implement the action. And, you know, through my own introspection and my own experiences, I realized that the missing piece was the coaching. And we all can be information seekers, but until you get in the messy middle and to go to action, which is where the support from coaching is needed in order to get the result, we're going to stay where we are. So I went back. I now have five coaching certifications. I'm toying with getting a six just because I'm interested. And that is how I came to be the CEO and founder of The Road to Seven. And we provide training, coaching, and soon financing for women business owners around the world. I love it. I don't think we talked about the fact, unless I forgot, that I was also a teacher. I don't know that I remembered you were a teacher. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Teachers make the best entrepreneurs. When you go back and look at some of the most successful entrepreneurs in history, there are a tremendous amount who started as teachers. But what about you, Megan? You started as a teacher. I did. I did. I just learned so much more about you listening to you share about your journey. So, gosh, you and I have such parallel journeys. It's crazy. It's why we decided to do this. Yeah, I, uh, I've got my, my undergraduate degree in business. And when I graduated from college, that was in 2004, I had no clue what I wanted to do. I was, I had worked in a resort, hotel resort in college, and I thought I wanted to go into hospitality management. And then I thought I wanted to go into like restaurant management, which is what I did do. And I hated it. I remember crying every single day when I was driving to work and in the restaurant business, at least the restaurant I was a manager and training for, I had to drive there at 5 a.m. every day. It was a 12-hour day. I cried on the way there. I cried on the way home. 
And at the time I had moved home with my parents, I was 22. And my mom was like, just write a letter and quit and like do something else. Like you're miserable. So I did. I lasted like three weeks. My mom was an educator and a principal. So I, I practically grew up in a school building. My mom was a teacher when she was pregnant with me. So I literally grew up in a schoolhouse. And she said, you know what? You would be such a great teacher. Why don't you go get your master's degree? And that was the summer after I graduated from college. So I did just followed in mom's footsteps. My parents sent me off to grad school. I got my my master's degree in two years. The first year I was getting my degree, I became a substitute teacher at the high school I graduated from. And I taught English for a teacher that was on maternity leave. I taught ninth and ninth, 10th and 11th grade English. And my specialty when I got my master's degree was in business education because my undergraduate degree was in business. So before I even got my teaching certification, I was hired for a full-time position as a business education teacher at my old high school beside my mom's classroom. So my mom was the accounting teacher and she taught some other computer classes. I was teaching computer programming and all sorts of business classes and computer classes. And I taught for five years in the classroom. I also taught for North Carolina virtual public schools, and there was some overlap there. So I was teaching about 90 kids a semester online, and I had about 60 to 70 kids a semester in the face-to-face classroom. And believe it or not, I was making double my salary teaching online than I was in the face-to-face classroom. It was it was very interesting. I was also the tennis coach. I was a football athletic trainer. I also led this huge grad, it was called the graduation project. And high school seniors had to complete it in order to graduate from high school. And I basically led it for the entire county, all of our high schools. And I believe I was 24 or 25 years old at the time. So at a really young age, I had a lot of responsibilities. And I also had a lot of Pretty, you know, in the, in the school classroom, like the school building, some pretty significant leadership positions and leadership roles and coaching roles. So Sean and I, my husband got pregnant in 2009 and we had our daughter Brighton in 2010. And it was quite uncharacteristic of me to want to leave the classroom. I, li- I thought I was going to be a teacher for the rest of my life. In fact, just like you, I thought I was going to get into administration. And my principal at the time was really encouraging me to get my principal fellows, go into the principal fellows program at a college about two hours away. That was going to be my next step. And I would have been a principal and possibly a superintendent for the rest of my career. And when I got pregnant, I just thought to myself, I am working, I am at this school building or on a field or on a court coaching about 70 to 80 hours a week. How on earth am I going to be the kind of mom I want to be? And so I decided to leave. And we don't have year-long maternity leave in the United States. However, I think a lot of teachers don't know this. So if you're a teacher listening to this, if you have a parent who's also an educator, your parent can basically gift you, gift their child, all of their personal leave. So I got a year's worth of pay The first year I was not teaching because my mom gave me all of her banked personal leave and vacation days because it was it was a year's worth salary. So I still got a year's salary that first year. Still was teaching a little bit online here and there. And about three months into being home with Brighton, I was like, this is not for me. I am not a stay-at-home mom material. And I knew I needed to be creating, leading, innovating, being around people. I love leading 
people. I love being in leadership roles. I love creating. I love ideating. And I love making things happen. And I couldn't do that in a household with an infant. So I started networking. I started going to networking events. It's something I had never done before. This was in 2011. And then my husband, who was already a coach, suggested that I get a coaching certification, not to start a new business, but actually for my own personal development and to kind of help me figure out, like, what do you want to do next? So I got a coaching certification in 2011. And that's what led me to working with, at the time, it was women who were moms who were also entrepreneurs. And it was any type of business. I was coaching. One of my clients was a dog groomer, like a brick and mortar dog groomer, graphic designers. I mean, you name it. It was either brick and mortar or it was online businesses. And back then it was more like brick and mortar businesses than it was coaches. And then that just kind of evolved. And a lot of women are coaches. So it kind of evolved into that. But that's how I got started in this. So Somewhat similar to you, for sure. Incredibly similar. And yeah. actually, one of the my first businesses was in a partnership. And we did focus in on moms that are in business. And when we decided to part ways, one of the decisions I made was to shift to women who happen to be moms, but also are business owners. And that was a really powerful shift for me because I was at that stage where my, I, I work through all my maternity leaves. I am not a stay at home mom. I am not, I am not good at, <laughs> at home stuff. I'm a terrible cook. I love being with my kids. I'm an excellent chauffeur. You know, we just talked about <laughs> before we started recording, you know, my weekend was a bit chaotic driving to 13 different hockey arenas, but you know, it just, it didn't fulfill me. And. When I shifted to working with women who are business owners and their moms, what happened was I attracted women that had different priorities. And it's not that their kids were not important. It's that they also were equally invested in themselves and their business. And they didn't want to be identified as being a mother. They wanted to be identified as a business owner. And it brought women that were a little bit further on in their business journey, which is where I play best. I'm not a startup coach. I'm just going to say that right away. I can teach you how to do it, but there's a lot of startup coaches who are fantastic and I'm happy to refer people. I do really well. And this is one of the things that I think we connected on. Mm. You know, we both do really well when there is an established business and they're wanting to go and look at the behind the scenes of it. Yeah. You know, the internals of the business. Now, it's interesting. And one of the big differences between you and I is I always wanted to go and do my MBA or go and do an undergrad in business, but I never thought I was smart enough. And so I never even sat the exams. And yet, every time I've had a self-improvement opportunity or a course, it's always been rooted in business. It's mm -hmm. always been rooted in business ownership, leadership, management system, something that's going to help a business. And it's just so natural to how my brain works. But it also has been a thorn in my side throughout my journey, because it's the number one story that I tell myself that often will hold me back. And I'm being coached heavily to be able to work through it. And that's two things. Number one, I'm not smart enough to go to school in business. And yet I'm completely self-educated. And the the stuff that I teach has massive impact to our women, which I know is the same as you. But the second thing, Megan, is the saying, those who do, do. 
those who can't teach. And that has been a, a thorn in my side since the day I heard it. And it was from an administrator at our school one day, and I don't know what she was going on about something. And it was almost like the co- the nail in the coffin of of me leaving teaching. And it was like this, oh yeah, oh yeah, watch this. Not only do I teach, I do as well. Yeah, that is so fascinating. So yeah, Sheila and I are very similar in that, you know, I don't know, did you start out coaching people who were kind of newbies in their business or you never did? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Like, was that something that you realized through working with people who were newer that I'm not, I'm not cut out to work with startups or did you kind of already know that? Well, I think it's kind of the evolution, you know, and I think that as entrepreneurs, we all evolve and we grow throughout every year. And, you know, what I notice is the women who I want to work with, I have just figured out how to do what it is that they want to do. And so, you know, at the startup phase, I had started a company and was earning money through it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've got so much to share with this audience. But then it was like, actually, I want to be with more established people, you know, and it sort of has followed that pathway a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So I have such a similar, again, like so many parallels here. Mine is similar. You know, I worked, I've had two different iterations of this business. I had my first one that started in 2011-ish and then left my business to work for my mentor's company, which at the time, while I was there, we built it up to like five to six million a year. And we did that primarily through like very large, scalable group coaching programs and masterminds that had hundreds of people in them. They were all a year long and we would be running like about four of those simultaneously. And I was the one creating them. I was the one running them. And the majority of those clients were in the early stages of business. And so one of the, one of the most amazing parts of that experience was having a front row seat to women building businesses and watching a really small segment of them grow to multiple six and then on to seven and multiple seven figures. All the ones who did that still are at the multiple seven-figure level now. And then the vast majority of them, they all had access to all the same stuff. They were not very successful. And so I got to see what worked and what didn't, both internally and externally. And when I rebooted my business again for the second time, that was the very beginning of 2017 in January, what I was primarily attracting were people who were still kind of on the struggle bus. They they hadn't just decided yesterday they wanted to start a business, but they had been trying to figure it out and trying to get clients and trying to make money and trying to get to a 100K year, which is sort of like the first holy grail in the coaching industry. And they had been unsuccessful, even taking lots of programs. And because I was had kind of become known in a little like corner of the coaching field, it was extremely easy for me to attract clients in the very beginning. I mean, all I did was pop up a Facebook group. I posted in there multiple times a day. I did two or three videos a week, had a call to action, and I was flooded with clients, And which was great. I mean, the money was fantastic. I did almost half a million in my first year and then just kept doing that every every year after that. But I got to this point, Sheila, where I was so frustrated, irritated, angry, and I was projecting all of it 
onto my clients. Now, I wasn't being rude or mean to them, but I was making it about them. And, you know, because they were so early stage, it was just the same conversation around who's my ideal client? What am I going to call my Facebook group? How do I get a client? How do I get anybody to engage with me? But it's sort of like this place where you get to and it's like in your mind, you're like, but I have to make this work. Or like I said, I was going to make this work and I created this program, this group coaching program, like I have to make this work. And I think that we get in our heads so much. And like you, I realized just through working with also a lot of clients who are much further along, my zone of genius is with established entrepreneurs because my zone of genius is in everything back of the house, not front of the house, front of the house being all the marketing and sales. How do I get like branding, marketing and selling? How do I get clients? How do I craft a message that attracts clients? How do I sell clients? And for a while, obviously, it's like it's almost like hard to go in the other direction because 90% of the marketplace is early stage or not making even remotely close to 100K. And I have had multiple coaches and marketers say to me whenever I've tried to pivot or reinvent myself, they've said, trying to work with someone who's already at multiple six figures is like trying to find a needle in a haystack. So good luck with that whether it was from Facebook ads or anything. I the Recently, the coach who said it to me recently, she's all for it, but she's like, it's going to be arduous. It's going to be arduous for you to try to build your business with the established entrepreneur. And I think because, at least for me, I can only speak for myself, because we're so inundated with the messages around how to make more money and how to generate leads and all of that. I mean, just hop on social media. That's almost all you see. You just, you kind of get to this point where you're like, oh my gosh, that's the only way I'm going to be able to make this work because that's what's so sexy and that's what everybody's after. But then you're dying on, you're literally dying on the inside because you know that's not where your gifts can be used. And I think ultimately that's why I was so frustrated working with earlier stagers because it's not because they were annoying. It's not because they weren't taking action. It was because I wasn't actually utilizing my God-given gifts. They were just being like shortchanged and you're just slowly shriveling up on the inside. That was, that had been, that was my experience for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, you know, I think when you hit those, I, I don't know whether to use the word roadblock or the glass ceiling or like when you shift to fight. And you're fighting with your business. You're fighting to get clients. You're fighting to make a sale. You're fighting to do the day to day. You're losing your, your mojo. Like, and it just isn't fun and invigorating and awakening anymore. It is time to stop and go back and see where that misalignment is. And every time I've hit that wall, my very first thing is to send out an invite to my favorite 20 clients that I want to clone. And, you know, there's no secret to this process. It's sort of marketing 101. Pick up the phone. Don't ask them to fill out a survey. Don't do a, you know, a survey monkey. Talk to these people so that you can get down to the nitty gritty. And it's questions like, what's your biggest challenge right now? What are you finding the most frustrating? Where are you struggling? You know, if you could wave your magic wand and have any solution, what would that look like? And, you know, I know we talked about this and I'd love for you to tell about, you know, how you shifted your program. I've shifted my program multiple times and I'm in the process of doing it again. But 
without fail, when I talk to them on the phone and I say, what's your biggest challenge? It is not what I've been marketing. Mm. So like you, you want more revenue, you want more this, you want more that. They want more. They want more team. They want more leadership. They want more structures. They want more time. They're not going to build their Instagram audience to 10,000 people because these women are so busy working in their company. They are not the ones that are scrolling Instagram. They are not the ones that are scrolling Facebook. They'll probably pop into LinkedIn every once in a while and they'll use Instagram for fun, but they're not, they're not going to look for the three tips to increase your revenue or the three ways to maximize your sales page. They have teams who do that for them. Yeah. And, you know, just that process of picking up the phone and reconnecting with the people who you want to clone, just that, that path becomes so clear of where mm-hmm. you need to go. When did you shift from one-on-one to group or did you do it right away? I did it right away because when I rebooted my business in 2017, I maxed out with private clients in the first three months of the year. Yeah. And I had a coach at the time and he's like, you've got to go ahead and shift a group. So I shifted to group and I shifted to really intimately sized groups. And I've done both. I mean, remember I, you know, I worked for my mentor. I was running groups. We had 300 people in a group and then we had 150 in another group and, you know, they were all really big. So. I was used to running and facilitating really, really large groups. And when I came back into my business, I really did believe I was going to go down the path of having my own like massive group coaching program as well, because it's what I knew. And I also did it extremely well. So I did start out with small groups and this was very, it was designed this way. The way the program was designed, I could only have about six to eight people in a group. And it was a bit of a higher price point because, you know, it's a smaller group. So I shifted really fast. And then by the end of 2017, I started my first higher level mastermind group, which I still have to this day. Now, fast forward a little bit, that group coaching program, by the time I got to 2019, I did shift it to become a very, very scalable group. And I had that for two and a half years. Fast forward again. That was the program where I was insanely frustrated the entire time because I I was already frustrated with my original group coaching program because it was still attracting people who just wanted to make money, right? So it's like everybody under making less than 100K and they just have a certain set of needs, which you and I can both do, but it's not really our ultimate wheelhouse. It's not really what we, you know, what people should be learning from us. So I I was frustrated towards like the end of the road on that one. But in my mind, I was like, it's it's the delivery style. It's the format of it. And I hadn't quite like caught on to the fact that actually your zone of genius is over here, not over there. And so I recreated this program and I made it insanely scalable and I was launching it all the time and it was working and it was filling. And then I'll tell you what my experience was inside of myself. So this is really interesting. Inside, I knew maybe a little bit subconsciously more than consciously, like this was not the the segment of people I was meant to serve. I knew that like really, really deep down. But I think there was a part of me similar to what you said earlier, that was very afraid to shift to the person who was much more established. And I've had the same thoughts in my mind. Do I really know what I'm doing in that category? Am I smart enough in business to be able to do that? And you and I are two like very 
academically gifted individuals, highly educated individuals. And we still play that tape in our mind. And over time, my launches can like started getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And finally, I was just like, I've got to burn that whole part of my business down. And so I did. I burnt the whole thing down and kept my higher level mastermind because that is where all those clients are making, you know, average, I'd say like 400 grand a year average. So some are more and some are a little bit less. But some of them have been in business for 30 years. I mean, I've got one client who has built six or seven, multiple six and seven figure businesses and has sold some. You know, I've got clients who have got more business experience than I have, who've built more businesses than I have, who've made more money than I have. But yet what I'm providing to them, it is all those things that you're saying. It's the structures, it's the operation, it's the optimization. They don't want to work all the time. They all have teams. And they're also at a stage of life, like we're talking 40s and 50s, where they're looking down a pathway of, I don't have a whole lot of time left. And so there's this entire conversation that we have around leadership, around how do I want to live my life? And also at that stage, we we do also get into the conversation around building friendships, building free female friendships, because it's really hard to do at our stage of life. They're just looking for something very different. And, you know, it's also a segment of the market. And I saw this in early 2017. I think I was just too afraid to do it back then because of all the things we've already said. There is such a gap in our marketplace right now for what you and I do and the segment of the market that we serve. For the early stagers, there are programs out the wazoo. I mean, just go close your eyes and go scroll around and point and click and just join the one that you land on. That literally, that's how they, that's how many there are. And then you've got like these multi-million dollar groups where you've got to almost be like a celebrity, like a mini celebrity in your industry just to go like rub elbows with people and show your bank statements and prove that you've made millions of dollars. Then you've got those and there's, there also, there's a lot of them in there. But who is serving the people in the middle? And I just think there's such a massive opportunity for that, for that group and for us to serve them right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things you said that I think is so important is looking at the results. You know, who do I get the best results for? And, you know, you said that that was sort of one of the triggers of where do I guess the best results is with these women that are running more established businesses. And, you know, I too sort of realized to get a quantum leap in a business, she's already got to be well over 125 and already have people in place. Oh, yeah. 125K a year and have yeah. people in place. Because the the opportunity to double, you know, if you think about, oh, I want to double my revenue, to double from 60 to 120 is also going to take, you know, some hustle and some rearranging and some some work. To go from 120 to 240 is actually not that big of a shift. It sounds big. But it's the structural shifts that have to happen in order to make that quantum leap. And, you know, it's so funny because I am not a sexy marketer. <laughs> it is not a part of who I am. And I know we talked about this. Like, I'm a pretty straight shooter. I'm a bare bones. You want to know? I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to show you a picture of me in front of a private plane. I'm not going to be, you know, jumping out of a whatever helicopter building in my Louis Vuitton, you know, whatever. Like, it's just not who I am. And yet the work that we do is not sexy, but oh boy, does it produce sexy results. And it's connecting with that audience and helping them see 
this is what's possible. Just not all that sexy to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. How do you make it attractive though? Right. So you and I know that it's sexy. Yeah. Right. Because the stuff that we're helping people with, it's honestly, it's what gives them their life back because they've grown this business and most people to get to that 125K, they work their tails off. Yeah. For a lot of people, it took them a long time to get there. Not everybody, but a lot of them, it did take them years to get there. They've worked their tails off. They've kind of like ignored their families along the way. They've shortchanged themselves. They haven't made friendships and hobbies a priority. And now it's like life's, life's leaving me. What you and I come in and do, it is actually the sexy part. Mm-hmm. So from your perspective, how do, how do we make that more attractive? Even though you and I, neither one of us, and I've gotten feedback from clients as well on this. You and I both are straight shooters. We're direct. We're kind people. Very. Super fun to be around, of course, but we're not gallivanting around showing off the dream house we just built or buying purses and showing that off. We're not out touting how much money we're making. No. Um, because it's not about that. So how do you make this behind the scenes stuff, the back of the house stuff? How do you make it more attractive? I love that. So yeah, one of the things that I'm seeing on Instagram a lot is people holding balloons with their cash, their cash month revenue. I made this much and they hold up their balloons. And, you know, I think that's great for them. And I love that it works for them. What it is, is all about them. Amen, sister. Amen. (laughs) Right. And so, you know, the question is, how do we help make it sexy? I think results speak for themselves. I'm not going to hold up balloons about what I personally have made. I am absolutely going to hold up balloons about what my clients have made. Yeah. And so I just shift the narrative a bit and I share the results that they had. You know, when you get the email that's like, Sheila, I just passed the million dollar mark. Like that to me is more inspiring than what I personally have done. Nobody cares how much cash is in my bank account at the moment. That is to create this desire with an audience and it's going to attract people who are like, oh, I want to make that money. Whereas by shifting the narrative and talking about the results that our clients get, and I always, I don't say their names, I don't tag them, I I blank it out and I hide it because it's not even about the person and their company. And also I send, I sign a confidentiality agreement. I do not talk about my clients. It's just not, it's self-serving. Yeah. And so I just tell the story. This is what we did with this company. This is how we made this possible. And that I, I think has been the biggest game changer for us. And it's also something that we need to do more of. And I need to do more of is really talk about the results that we're getting for our women. Because when people see that, they're like, Oh my God, I want that result. And when I can show what we did in our programs to get them that. That's where that desire is created for my kind of woman. She's not wanting me to hold up balloons and say, I made this much cash this month. Right. It's just a different audience. It's a different person. It's a different approach. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've also always been pretty turned off by that as well. Mm. You know, when I see other people talking about how much money they made in a month or how much money they made in a year or what they're doing with their money, like, and it's... I'm so happy for them. Like that is so amazing. Good on it. It is awesome. But to your point, the way I feel in my own body and like chest, it's like, 
are you doing, are you really doing that because you're showing other people what's possible? Or are you doing it because you want to get like 50 people who comment and say, congratulations, you're awesome. Mm -hmm. Because I've always thought it comes across as so self-serving. And I think one of the things that has been challenged, I'd be interested to hear if this has been a challenge of yours. One of the things that has been somewhat challenging for me is that's, that seems to be one of the loudest messages out there in the woman entrepreneur, women coaching space. Look at how much money I'm making. Look at what I'm able to do with my money. To me, I see that more than anything else out there. And I've always believed it's really self-serving. And so that for a while, there's a part of me that's like, oh my gosh, like, do I have to, do I have to market that as well? Do I have to always talk about how much money I made? Is there even a place for me if that's not what I'm talking about? Have you found that to be challenging as well for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, for sure. And I'm just going to bring the word trigger in here. Mm. When I see those posts, I'm triggered. Yeah. When we're triggered, it means there's something in there for us. And that's what I'm trying to figure out is what that in there for us or for me anyway is, you know, what is it that's triggering and what is my version of that? Mm -hmm. You know, if it's not going to be me, you know, touting what our revenue goal is or, you know, the the post I saw the other day was, I'm gunning for 750,000 in revenue this month. Will you come and help me? Oh, wow. But anyway, she's going for it and good honor. But the trigger in there is something is in there for me to figure out why yeah. it's triggering and what I need to do that's my way. And maybe it's telling more about me. Maybe it's sharing more about what I'm doing. Maybe it's sharing more about my personal successes. And that's, you know, that conversation is between my coach and I, and we're figuring it out. I don't have the answer right now. Yeah. But if it triggers us, it means there's something in there for us. For sure. But I think, you know, we also have similarities in that we're both very cerebral. You talked about it, very academic. I'm in my head all the time, but I'm also an introvert. I do not love being out there. What I love, though, is being on a stage in front of hundreds and thousands of people. Yeah. She's so backwards, right? People don't know that about introverts, though, because I'm the same way. I'm really introverted in social situations. I think that... I don't, you know, I don't know if this is an introverted thing or not, but I tend to guard my heart a little bit and like keep personal things close. Like I said, like, I don't know if that's an introvert thing or not, but put me on a stage or put me in a classroom full of people or put me in an auditorium full of people. I love that too. Mm -hmm. You know, I think part of that is our genuine love and joy of teaching and sharing knowledge with people. I mean, I just want to like tell everybody everything I know all the time. And I, to me, it's not scary to be on stage in front of a ton of people at all. What's more scary to me is like posting about things on social media or like posting, going back to what we were saying about people sharing their financial things or like us feeling like that's really self-serving. You know, I wonder if part of it is feeling like, well, if I go say what I really believe, which is the opposite of that. Am I going to get like burned at the stake because all these people on social media believe one thing, but I actually believe something else. I wonder if that's part of it. Maybe. Could be. Maybe. But yeah, I mean, the whole introvert thing, I think those of us who are introverts, it's more of a social introvertedness because I tend to be more socially introverted. But when it comes to sharing my knowledge and my expertise, I'm not that I'm not introverted. Do you find that to be 
I think that's the perfect explanation for it, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we both have families. We do. We're both balancing, you know, a million and one different balls in the air. How do you handle running a business of your scale with all of the the responsibilities and expectations that are on you? Yeah, you know, great question. So my husband and I have done things very non-traditionally for, well, since 2016. So like the very end of 2015, very beginning of 2016, I have been the predominant earner in our household financial. And Sean has been the one who took care of everything else. Kid, activities, school, chauffeuring, everything that had to do with the, everything that had to do with the household. And that really afforded me the opportunity to be able to be completely undistracted and completely focused. That doesn't mean I was working 50 or 60 or 70 hours a week. It just meant I had undistracted time when I was focused on working. So I could be completely undistracted essentially from like 9am until 5 or 6pm if I wanted to be. And also undistracted in terms of not having to think of anything else. I didn't have to think about grocery shopping. I didn't have to think about what bills we needed to pay. I didn't have to think about taxes. I didn't have to think about Brighton's extracurricular stuff. And as as a mom, I mean, that's a a lot. That's a full-time job to keep up with. And Working also with a lot of moms. I mean, I'll tell you, I've had clients that had three kids, four kids, five kids. And I'm like, I don't know how on earth you're building a business with no help. Literally, like husband's not helping. You are literally doing all the household, everything. And you're taking care of the kids. And the husband's not really playing a significant role in any of that. Because I know what I've had with Sean. And that that's really shifted lately in the last couple of years. Brighton's older now. She's 11. Sean really kind of figured out like his groove and what he really wants to build. So now, you know, he kind of has like a bit of a startup. I would I would call it a startup. I'm building what I'm building and doing a lot of reinventing. So we're we're kind of like, you know, the kitchen is not clean right now. We are kind of having to really shift our roles. But ultimately, that has been... My husband and I having exceptionally open lines of communication, knowing what our partnership goals are, what our parenting goals are, our marriage goals are, but also being extremely clear with one another what our individual goals are. Sean and I both have very distinct and different individual goals, and we we do whatever we possibly can to support each other in our individual goals. And I think that's so important in a marriage. It is, it's not all about me and it's not all about him and it's not all about the marriage. We, we have to honor why the other person is on this earth and what their gifts are, what their strengths are, what their passions are, what their calling is. And we may not have the exact same calling and we may also not get there in the exact same way. So I think it's so important that you're very consistently having open lines of communication and you're also reevaluating pretty frequently the direction that you're going as a couple, as a family, but also individually, because it shifts and it changes and seasons shift and change. And if you're not talking about that, you know, that could lead, that can lead in directions that are unhealthy for the family, unhealthy for the kids, unhealthy for the marriage. And so I think it's so important to to talk about that really often and, and be available to be flexible and be available to be agile in your partnership and the way in which you're supporting. And also asking your partner, what do you need from me? 
how can I support you? I think that's such an important question to be asking each other and real honestly really eliminates a lot of heartache and a lot of arguments. I know we only have one kid and I know like that's crazy enough. You've got three. So how do you do, how do you do it over there? As you know, over the last couple of years as I've been scaling, it's I have not gone as fast as I wanted because I have been really honoring that value of family first. And I am the primary caregiver of our kids. My husband is very involved, but when push comes to shove, his business tends to come first. And when I ask, mine can come first too, but I don't always ask and that's on me. So, yeah, I have to say the words profit sharing. I have an amazing team of women that prop me up, that keep me going, that keep our systems flowing. You know, I've got a client care specialist and she works behind the scenes on so many different pieces, a social media manager, podcast production, a bookkeeper, and then a whole bevy of other women that I can pull in when needed. And when my home expectations creep into what I, the hours that I would like to be working, it just means it's time for me to get help within my business. So my profit may go down that month or that quarter if I'm being pulled to more kids. This is hockey hockey season here in Canada. We're recording this in the month of February. All three kids of my all three of my kids play rap hockey. We are at a lot of arenas a week and I do most of the driving. A because I love hanging with the kids and it's my time with them. My husband spends time with them differently and also I love getting out of the house. I work from home and I get a little bit stir crazy and I do great thinking with windshield time. But anyway, it means that during those heavy seasons I probably am hiring more than when I have more time to work. It just means that I might pay myself a lower percentage. Maybe I pay myself a higher percentage when I'm doing more of the work. It just, it fluctuates and I, I operate our cash flow on a profit first basis. So I watch our profit margins above and beyond everything else. I know what my operating costs are. My team comes first. I know that I need to pull money to pay myself. I'm a financial contributor in my family and it's non-negotiable. And that is just how we operate. You know, it's a numbers game for me in my business. And and I just often have to profit share in order to yep. create the space. The other thing that I do, Megan, is when I'm feeling really stretched, I actually decrease the amount of hours that I have available to work. Mm-hmm. And so I might decrease the amount of client time that I client facing time that I have available. And when I am working, it means I am so laser focused on the task at hand. I I actually end up usually doing more in those times than when I have a nice open schedule. And, you know, when I'm coaching, I would rather, you know, put everybody together in one day and just give them my all. And then the next day is a rest day because I'll be exhausted by then. So I just, you know, I play with my schedule. I literally leverage my team every single month based on what's going on, looking at the revenue coming in, revenue going out. And that's how I've scaled it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I'm hearing is you really have to put yourself in the CEO seat and make decisions based on, you know, especially as women who have families. And, you know, when you have a family, you're, we're not the only one, right? Our kids are going through changes. Our kids are going through seasons. Our husbands are going through changes and through seasons. And that's going to have an impact on the business. One of the things I see a lot of women getting super bent out of shape about is when they don't, when they have a month that isn't financially as high or a quarter that isn't as financially as high as the last, 
and they really start to freak out around money. So I love that you brought up the managing your finances and following profit first. I actually took over our finances last year. So I do the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. And I've really learned how to properly manage our money and manage our budgeting so that when you do have the months that are not as high as the last month, that's going to happen. Hello, it's business. That's what a lot of people forget. It's business. It's not always going to be on a high. Every month is not going to be better than the last. Every quarter is not going to be better than the last. You're not guaranteed that every year is going to be better than the last. However, in order to have more money, you don't always have to make more money. And it's so important to have your eyeballs on that. And again, to be fluid with that and be on top of it and make make shifts and make changes and be flexible with that without beating ourselves up or shaming or judging or comparing ourselves to the people with the balloons. <laughs> so in their big money months. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. And it's an evolution. And I think, you know, that's what I'm really taking from our conversation is your business growth is a is an evolution and it ebbs and it flows and there's highs and there's lows. And one of our jobs is just to be able to ride the roller coaster with grace mm-hmm. and ease. And give yep. ourselves the space to be able to handle what comes. And when it's not going well, being able to step out, realign and say, okay, what do we need to do different? Exactly. I love it. This conversation has been so rich. I hope that all the listeners literally feel like they have been a fly on the wall or like existing inside of our brains. I, I think that we, I think that women in this space deserve to hear more conversations like this, just real conversations about what are people experiencing? What are they going through? What are the changes they're navigating? What are the, what's the thought life that we're navigating? It's not always perfect. It's not always, it doesn't, it's not always picture perfect. It's not always an Instagram reel, you know, highlight reel. These are the, you know, the other thing I want to say is, you know, when, when those of us get together like this, kind of like behind the scenes and we're meeting each other and we're just having like Zoom conversations, this is actually what it's like that these like private conversations among peers and colleagues, it's very much like this, like, Hey, this is what I'm going through. Am I crazy? And then you find out somebody is literally experiencing the same thing you are yet in our podcasts or in our Facebook lives or what we're sharing out there. We're not, we're, you know, we're doing so much teaching of our knowledge, but yet not talking about, you know, just pressing record when we're having these types of conversations. So I'm really glad you and I both agreed to come and bring this forth. I hope it's been super inspiring for all of our listeners here today. And let's make it the first of many. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. Megan, thanks for chatting today. Thank you so much for tuning into the Built to Last show. If you're loving the show and have gotten any value out of it for your business and life, would you mind doing two things? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Our listener reviews helps us get more visibility and reach more people just like you. Help us make a difference for more entrepreneurs by helping them grow their businesses in a way that aligns with their life, family, and core values. Thank you so much for being part of our community and tuning into the show each week.